As Jake said and the video said, happy Father's Day. Glad that you are here on uh, this day uh, as we uh, celebrate dads. And as Jake prayed, uh, if today's a rough day for you, I pray that you will find comfort in your heavenly father. Well, uh, several weeks ago, I was worried. Uh, so much so that I ended up confessing my worry to uh, Jake. I uh, also shared it with uh, the elders, uh, Matt and Luke. And what I was worried about was our Building Lives campaign. Uh, you see, back in um, March, we talked with our leaders and just felt that if we're supposed to be leaders, the Sunday team and the elders, we should lead the way in this campaign. And so in March, we all talked with our spouses, we prayed, and we pooled together our finances. We, we shared it all with Minette. Minette calculated it all up and then told us that we just among the leadership had raised over $20,000. That had me really, really excited. And when you pooled that with some of the money we already had in our building fund, we had over $27,000. We were over 50% of what we needed for that $50,000 before we ever asked you, the Riverwood family, to contribute to this. So I had this kind of assumption that we were going to nail 100% by the end of May. That's when we were ending the active period of our campaign. Our series in Nehemiah was coming to an end. Our growth groups were going to be done talking about it. We weren't going to talk about it in the weekly email. The active period was done, and I thought we were going to hit 100%. But instead, we were at 70%. And I began to get worried. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, Aaron, you told us we had until July 3rd. You know, so there were still five more weeks to get to 100%. What were you worried about? Well, a couple of things. First, research shows that the majority of churches that do a capital campaign similar to the way we structured it, the most giving is done in that latter half of the active period. So for us, that would be May 15th through May 29th. And yet we didn't get to that 100%. And churches have their lowest giving in the summer. Riverwood is no exception. And we were headed into June. And so I was worried we were not going to reach that 50000 Because if we didn't reach 50000 we can't meet the matching grant, and therefore we can't move forward and buy in the building. And so I actually began to raise the question with the elders, what do we do if we don't get there? Well, thankfully, Matt and Luke were a little calmer than me. And they're just like, Aaron, we still have five more weeks. Let's pray. So that's what we did. We just began to pray. And wouldn't you know it, this week, God brought in the rest of the money we needed. I just learned last night, another gift pushed us over the $50,000 mark. We did it. But actually, I need to amend what I said. God did it. Two weeks, well, let, let me press, preface it this way. Uh, when we were studying Nehemiah, uh, we, we mentioned this, but we didn't talk about it in depth. In chapter 2, we see that some of the supplies that the, the Jewish people were going to need to rebuild the wall, some of those supplies were supplied by the king. In other words, some of those supplies came from outside the city, outside the people. Well, God chose to do that for us. Two weeks ago, I was contacted by a church who said, one of your brochures was given to us. We believe in the local church. We believe God is using the local church to help people meet Jesus. We believe in what you're called to do. We think we want to be a part, but we have some questions. 
And so they were asking me, where are you currently at? What, you know, what, what does all this look like? And they even asked, what kind of participation have you had? Well, I, I didn't know. And so I asked Minette, would you just kind of look and see who has just let me know? That was actually very, very encouraging. At that time, over 80% of you have participated in this. That just gave me great confidence. You're in this with us. And so I was able to share these figures back to this church. And they said, all right, thanks very much. We'll be in contact. Tuesday, they called and said, our board voted. We want to support you. And we want to give you $5,000. That is what pushed us up this past week so much. And then it was last night I learned that even some more had come in, and that's what bumped us over. Today, I thought I was announcing 48,000. That's what's in your handout. It was just yesterday I learned. Well, actually, we've already printed those. It's wrong. We're at 51. So it turns out that all my worrying was for nothing. Oh, ye of little faith, Pastor Aaron. Now, all this to say, if you have not given... This does not mean that you shouldn't give it all now. Ah, they got it. There's still so much more we want to do and need to do. For instance, we've shared in the brochure and on the the website that we would really like to get real chairs in here. So, I mean, if you love folding chairs, I, I can understand why you might not want to contribute to this campaign. But the rest of us and our backsides would probably appreciate a slightly more comfortable chair. We'd love to do this so that when we have first time guests come in here, They're in a place where their attention is focused on hearing God's word and connecting with God and not on what their low back feels like. Also, we need to get some parking lots, uh, parking lights outside in the parking lot. Uh, In the winter, my, my growth group meets here on Wednesday nights. When we leave, it's dark out there. The only light we have currently is our sign. So when we all park out in this area, we can see enough to get to our cars. But if you're parked over here or on the side, it's just not safe. It's just not the right environment. We've got to do this. Now, if we can't do it out of this capital campaign, we'll have to do it at a later date, but that to me is a a need. And so by all means, if you have not participated yet, just because we've reached our minimum goal does not mean we have reached everything that we want to do and, and need to do. So please give. Also, maybe you've already contributed, but God might stir in you to still participate and do more. For instance, uh, as the school year ended, Leanne found out that uh, the school district was hiring ticket takers for the softball and baseball uh, teams. And so she started signing up. She's getting paid $9 an hour to sell tickets. So as people come in, they pay their, you know, five bucks and she's making nine bucks an hour. Well, we don't need that nine bucks an hour. So she's donating all of it. In fact, she roped me in on it. I worked at one of the girls softball games. So we're going to be donating that money. Is it going to be much? No. But it might buy a chair or two. So maybe you could still do some things. The good news is we can now tell the bank, but by our July 3rd date, we're going, we, we can do it. We're, we, we can make the down payment. But it doesn't mean we're done. And so if, you, if you're still feeling led to contribute, please do so. Because there's still so much more we want to do and need to do. But... We need to celebrate. God did it. He brought the money in in unbelievable ways, and I feel a bit convicted. I grew up in a home of a mom who worried all the time. 
If I was out with my friends on a Friday night, she worried. If Leanne and I were making a long car trip, she worried. If her Nebraska Cornhuskers were getting ready to play a game, she worried. And that was ridiculous because that's when they were actually good and they used to win 70 to 0. Nowadays, I would understand, but my mom's a different woman now. She's much calmer and she doesn't even listen to the games. Uh, but she used to worry all the time. I, I, I'm different than my mom. Like, I, I haven't spent much time worrying about my kids. Like, right now, they're traveling from Ames, Iowa to come visit us for Father's Day for a couple of days. I'm not worried about their trip. I, I, I rarely worry about my sports teams, too. Probably because I've watched Kansas City Royals for too long and I've seen them lose way too much. I, I, I just am not a worrier. But as I was looking at my life, I realized there has been an area of my life that I've spent a little too much time worrying. That's the area of finances. When Leanne and I lived in Denver, Colorado, we were really poor. We, we were below the poverty line. I worried sometimes whether we'd be able to pay our mortgage or not. When Leanne and I began this journey of planting a church, we had to engage in fundraising. I worried we wouldn't raise enough. And as I've already confessed, just not even a month ago, I was worried we wouldn't reach our $50,000. Maybe I'm a little bit more like my mom than I realized. The thing is, I don't think my mom and I are alone. I, I suspect that all of you, at least at some point in your life, have worried. Maybe you've worried about a job. Maybe you've worried about money like me. Maybe you've worried about a relationship. Maybe you've worried about something from your past. Maybe you're worried about the unknown of the future. Maybe you're worried about a health crisis. But if you're human, you've probably worried. Well, today... The Psalms address that directly. Today, we are going to hear King David in Psalm 37 tell us to fret not. And he's going to show us three different areas that we are not to worry in, but he doesn't just say, hey, don't worry. He actually gives us a game plan of what we need to do to be able to move out of worry into trust. So if you brought a Bible, I invite you to open it up to Psalm 37. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, we will be putting the scripture up on the screen, but if you are a first-time guest, we uh, allow digital Bibles here, so if you have a Bible on your phone, feel free to pull that out, and we would uh, welcome you to use that uh, this morning. If you uh, want a paper Bible after our worship gathering, I encourage you to stop by our resource table. We've got two different translations of the scripture back there. We'd love to give one of those to you as a gift and make that yours. Um, two weeks, I mean, last week, we were in Psalm 34. Uh, I learned that Psalm 34 was an acrostic psalm. In other words, every verse uh, went through each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Well, this week, little did I know that I had unintentionally picked another acrostic psalm. There's only eight of them in the psalms, if I understood that right. And so I ended up picking another one. So this one, though, instead of every verse, it's basically every other verse. And so because Psalm 37 is basically double the length of Psalm 34, we're going to focus just on verses 1 through 9 today. Verses 1 through 9, because basically by studying verses 1 through 9, you're going to capture kind of the whole of all of Psalm 37. So as we get ready to read verses 1 through 9, let me pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we pause before we come to your holy scriptures, because you wrote these words through David, and they have brought so much encouragement and instruction and wisdom to so many people throughout the generations and now we here, right in 2022, on Father's Day, get to sit underneath you, our Heavenly Father, listen to your advice, your input, your wisdom, and I pray, Father, you'd help us to not just hear it and forget it, or hear it and be smarter, 
but that we would hear it and apply it. God, do today what you need to do in our hearts and our minds to help us become obedient children who know our Father, who love our Father, and will follow you fully. So teach us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Two weeks ago, I mean not two weeks ago, last week I selected uh, Psalm 34 because inside of it was uh, my wedding verse. Well, this week I have picked Psalm uh, 37... Because I was writing Psalm 37, verses 3 through 7, in a lot of graduation cards. Uh, A couple weeks ago was graduation. Many of you know my son Salem graduated high school. That meant a lot of his friends were also graduating, so we had a ton of graduation cards to give out this year. Well, as I was writing in there, hey, congratulations on your achievement, I just found myself writing, take with you Psalm 37, verses 3 through 7. Because it's great advice for graduates. But the thing is, it's not just for graduates. It's great advice for anyone. And so that's why I wanted us to study it today. David starts off with the phrase, fret not. The Hebrew word for fret, uh, it has in it this connotation of worry, but it also has overtones of anger. So this isn't just a fear-based worry of, oh no, I don't know what's going to happen type of fretting. It's also like, I can't believe that's happening. I can't believe they're doing that. Like there's, you're getting a little upset, a little hot and bothered. You're about to lose your temper. That's also in the mix of this fretting. Also, I learned from the Net Bible that the Hebrew verb here is singular, So David is not just writing to a general audience. This isn't just to people overall. No, he's writing to his reader, to his individual. That means this is for you. So if you struggle with worry, this is not just, hey, here's some good ideas. This is God writing through David, listen up, I want to help you with this. Three times in uh, verses 1 through 9, we hear this phrase, fret not. And I think each time David expands what it is he wants us to not worry about. The first one is that I believe we are not to fret over the wicked. Fret not over the wicked. Look at verse 1. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. David is employing a typical uh, feature of Hebrew poetry known as parallelism. 
Oftentimes, the first phrase is explained further in the second phrase. So, Nate, if you would put the verse back up. So, what you notice is he's saying, fret not over evildoers. But now he takes that and doesn't just restate it. He expands it a little more. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Now, that's curious. Why would David tell us to not be envious? Because I'll be honest. I do not look at Hitler and go, man, I sure wish I could have had what that guy had. So why is he saying, be not envious of the evildoer? Well, let's think this through. What is it that these ruthless, wicked evildoers want? They want money. They want power. They want pleasure. They want fame. Those are the things that most cultures value. Those who have great wealth, those who are ultra attractive, those who uh, uh, seem to have influence, those who are well known, that is what cultures seem to esteem. Now, you might say, well, Aaron, I, I think our culture also values talent. I, I'd agree with you. We, we seem to, to laud a lot upon people who um, have great musical talent, uh, maybe great artistic talent, great athletic talent. But what do these people who have great talent get? Money, sex, power, fame. These are the things that our world wants. So because this is what we naturally want, it's easy for us to see people who have it and be a little envious of what they have even if they got it through ruthless means. Now, David is not the only one to try to warn us about these people. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to Timothy, also warns us. In 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, Paul says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing... With these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. What does Paul say is success? Not riches, not wealth, not power, contentment. Can you just be content? Now, I don't think this eliminates ambition. You know, God called me to help plant a church. And so that took some work. We couldn't just be content to go, ah, you know what? We're just fine. No, God's saying, no, I want you to do this. So you can go after something, but can you be content with where God has you as you're also striving? Rather than going after the riches, the power, the pleasure, can you go after God? Because when you take contentment and godliness and put them together, you are countercultural, and you will change the world. No one lives that way. You begin to live that way, people will notice. People will remark, you will be different because you will have peace. If you get caught up in the rat race of the world, it basically starts leading you down a dangerous path. Paul warns us about it, but guess what? So does David. If you flip back to Psalm 37, notice he says what happens to these people. 
Verse 2, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. So why should you not fret over the wicked? Because they're not going to make it. They're not going to last. They will be toppled. It may not be today. It may not be next year. It may take a decade or two. But they will not last. Some will not last simply because someone more ruthless will come along and topple them. Some will not continue because the values of our culture will change. And so things that used to be really considered great will eventually become uh, like despised. And those people who made their wealth and power and position through one way that was at one point culturally acceptable, it will no longer be that way. And people will now consider them a demagogue and, and, and just get rid of them. Other people will, will fade because their ruthlessness will be exposed. And it will make people gasp. They'll see all that they did to get to this place and they will no longer be venerated. But some people, they're just going to die. They will fade like grass and they will wither like an unwatered plant. David wants to spare you from that. That's why he's saying, don't fret over these people because they're not going to last. He says another fret not. It's down in verse 7. The second fret not is to fret not over success. Fret not over their success. It's the middle phrase there of verse 7. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Now, this sounds much like what we just heard back in verse 1, but David's expanding it just a little bit. When I read verse 1, it sounds like he's saying, fret not over their power, their possessions. This time, though, it's like he's saying, fret not over their position or their, their kind of like um, posture. Fret not over their prosperity, their success. I can't help but think that David is writing this to himself. Last week, I alluded to David's story. David was anointed the next king of Israel while still a teenager. Israel for a long time had no uh, uh, king, but they wanted one. They wanted to look like the other nations. God kept saying, no, I'm your king. I'm your God. But they just kept saying, we want a human king. We want a human king. So God finally allows them to have a human king, and they select Saul. King Saul looked really kingly. He was good looking. He was taller than everyone else. He was very unlike me. But he was ruthless. He was selfish. He was insecure. And out of that insecurity, out of that selfishness, he began to chase after the things so many other people chase. Wealth, power, fame. Because he wasn't chasing after God, God was going to remove him. Well, he finds out that the replacement was going to be David. And at first he liked David. At first he pretended like, okay, this is what God wants. I'll go along with it. But he couldn't do it. He wanted to keep the throne for himself. He wanted his son to inherit it. And so he sought to kill David, one of the most ruthless acts someone could engage in, to murder someone. And so for much of David's life, he was fleeing just to stay alive. And so I can't help but think, he's sitting there looking at King Saul, knowing he's wicked, he's ruthless, he's unethical, and yeah, he still gets to be king. And so he writes himself a poem. 
David, fret not over those who appear to prosper. Fret not over their success. God is in control. You trust him. He'll take care of this. But he's not done there. He gives us one more fret not, and it's in the very next verse, verse 8. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Now, the other time, up in verse 7, it says, fret not yourself over the one who prospers. But this time, he just says, fret not yourself. In other words, don't fret about anything. Like, just stop worrying about life. Don't fret. Uh, many years ago, there was this book that was making the rounds. Don't sweat the small stuff. That's basically what David is saying. Don't get angry don't lose your cool. Don't worry. Stop fretting. It's not worth it. Why? Because if you fret, here's what will happen. It tends only to evil. If you make your life all about worrying, eventually you make it all about yourself, and eventually you begin to act like the wicked. You begin wanting these things for yourself, and you will become evil and ruthless and unethical. It doesn't happen overnight. It's, it's, it's a slide. At first, you're, you're going to think you're, you're fine, not a big deal, a little worse, a little worse. Years and decades later, you're no different than the very wicked and ruthless people he's been talking about. And what happens to them? They fade. So to spare you from the pain of the fade, David says, just don't worry about anything. Not just the wicked, not just their success, just don't fret about life. Instead, do something else. And this is what he tells us in verses 3 through 6. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. How do you go about, well, before I get to that, uh, in 1939, uh, as World War II was raging, the British government wanted to help bolster the, the uh, um, emotions of the people. And so they put together a series of posters. One of those posters said, keep calm and carry on. Now, many of you have seen this poster. You've probably seen its imitations all over the place and the parodies and the memes. But what you may not know is that this poster actually never was put out for public uh, viewing. The government printed almost 2.5 million of these posters, and yet it never went up. Because you see, it was in a series of posters. They had multiple posters that had encouraging messages like this. It's just that when they got ready to put this one out, Germany had begun their invasion, and this suddenly sounded tone deaf. As bombs were dropping on London at night, it seemed kind of silly to say, ah, keep calm, carry on, no big deal, a bomb dropped on your house. And so they chose not to use the poster. The only reason you know about the poster's existence is that in 2000, a bookstore in England bought a couple of used boxes of used books, and inside one of these boxes were two of these posters. 
Well, they were really curious about it, began to investigate, realized, man, what a find. So they framed one of them and put it up in their store next to the cash register. People saw it and were so curious, they began to investigate the background and learned much of what I just told you. And thus, it inspired all sorts of people and then inspired the imitations and everything else. But the message meant a lot to the British people. Even in 2000, it encouraged them to keep calm and carry on. But David beat the British government by about 3,000 years. This is exactly what he's saying in verses 3 through 6. Keep calm and carry on. And here is how you do it. The first thing you do is there in verse 3. You trust in the Lord. That's it. You trust in the Lord. The question is, do you trust the Lord? Do you trust that he is good? Do you trust he is for you? Do you trust in his power? Do you trust in his existence? Last week, we saw that when you look at life through the lens of me and now, when all you can see is your circumstances, you see the difficulty you're in, it, it can lead you to a place of not trusting God. That's why we need to look through the lens of eternity. We need to take a much bigger picture. And when we see through the lens of eternity and through the lens of the gospel, God's heart for us, we see that Jesus Christ, God the Son, took on human flesh, lived a sinless life, so he did not need to pay off the penalty of sin, but he went ahead and died on the cross in our place. When you look through that lens of the gospel, you see what God has done through the history, you realize God can be trusted. And so if all you're going to do is look through the lens of me and now, I, I get it if you say, no, I, I can't trust God. But if you will back out, look at all that God has done throughout history, if you will look at what he's done through the gospel for you, you will see he can be trusted. But David doesn't stop there. He tells us the second thing we need to do. We need to trust God, but also in verse 4, we need to delight in the Lord. We need to delight Whatever you delight in, whatever's going to like brighten your life, that's what you desire. So if you think cake is what's going to bring you delight, you're going to desire cake no matter what shape your body's in. But if what you delight in is good health, feeling good in your body, guess what? There's going to be moments when you will happily say no to cake. I know it's hard to believe, but it's possible. If all you desire is the things that the world tells us to desire, money, sex, power, and fame, then you're going to go after those things. But in order to not get trapped in the way of the wicked and, and fade away like them, you have to delight in something else. And David says, delight in the Lord. Now, so many times we have desires. You know, the second phrase there is he will give you the desires of your heart. Yeah, we have desires, but so do the wicked. It's just that they're putting their delight in themselves. What David wants you to do is put your delight in the Lord. Because when your delight is in the Lord, you now want what God wants. So when you know that God desires for you to not be corrupted by money, then you will happily not make your life about riches. You will become incredibly generous. That is what will bring you delight. So delight in the Lord. Make him the, the focus of your affection. But, but how do you do that? 
I, I, I believe it comes to the gospel. I, I don't believe the gospel is just there to simply save us from our sins. I believe it is what God uses to sanctify us, to help us become more like Jesus. So as you look at the cross, as you see the resurrection, and you hear it, God, through the gospel, it leads you to delight and he begins to transform then what you desire, and you begin to desire what he wants, and you end up getting the desires of your heart. But then David takes it one step further. The third thing he tells us to do is to commit your way to the Lord. To commit to the Lord. I believe that the gospel shows us that God is committed to us. If you look at the gospel story, you see that Jesus did not stand there waiting for us to clean up our act and go, okay, I see you're trying. I guess I'll go die on the cross for you now. No, Romans 8, I mean, Romans 5 tells us that while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, Jesus died for us. He was so committed to us because when God created humanity, he put his image in them. It was like a brand saying, this one's mine. And so when what is God's walks away, he loves it. He's for it. He's committed to it because he's committed to himself. And so Jesus comes and dies in our place to redeem us, to bring us back to God so our sins are forgiven. And so when you look through the lens of the gospel, you see God's commitment to you so it can help you commit yourself to him. Some of you, you want to trust the Lord. You want to delight. But you can't do it because you haven't committed. You let God be on the side. But what he wants to be is the center. Today, will you turn to your heavenly father on Father's Day and commit Go all in. That means for some of you, you need to get baptized. You heard Jake make the announcement. Some of you, you're embarrassed that you're at this age, you have never been baptized, and so you're thinking like, ah, it's too late. No, it's not. It's never too late. Commit. Jesus publicly went to a cross for you. Will you publicly get dunked in water for him? Some of you kids, you've given your life to Jesus. But you're a little scared of being the center of attention. So you don't want to get baptized because you don't want to have to talk. You don't want anyone to see you. The thing is, baptism isn't putting the spotlight on you. Baptism is putting the spotlight on Jesus. He did this for you. So now will you show your commitment to him? So be baptized. But also to commit means you got to use your time differently. It means turning off some things so that you can turn on others. It means saying no to some things so that you can say yes to more important things. Will you commit? Because when you commit, you will find your desires begin to change. The things that you delight in become different and you find it so much easier to trust. So that when then the money isn't coming in exactly as you thought it should, you'll find yourself saying, but I can trust God. He will do it. And you'll find yourself with peace. You'll find yourself with greater joy. You'll find yourself just being more calm. And you'll find yourself not fretting. So that is why I want to go into communion. I want to create the space for you to commit. 
If you are not a follower of Jesus, then here's how I want to encourage you to use this time. As we turn down the lights and, and come to this communion table, I'm going to encourage you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, don't worry about these elements. These, these elements are all about Jesus. About Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and shedding his blood for us. That's what the bread and the cup represent. Rather than worry about those elements, I want you to trust, delight, and commit. I want you to, to give your life over to Jesus. Most people, when they realize the truth of the gospel, they realize what Jesus did for them on a cross, they first confess their sin. They acknowledge they have fallen short of God's standard. And yet, even though they fell short, God loved them so much, he paid, he, he covered the gap, he paid it all so that we could come into a relationship with him. So would you let today become your spiritual birthday? Would you let today become the day when your heavenly father is truly your heavenly father and not just some distant God? And so as, as the band leads in song, would you just pray, confess your sin, and express your desire to trust, to delight, and to commit? Some of you, you're a follower of Jesus, but you have been fretting. You're worried about a relationship, about money, about a job, about your health. You're worried about someone else. You're worried about a neighbor. You're worried about something from your past. You're worried about something coming up. Today, God is trying to tell you, fret not yourself. Don't worry about these things. Don't get hot and bothered. Instead, come to me and trust me, delight in me, and commit to me. And the reason we can do that is because as we look at the gospel, as we come to these communion elements, we see that God committed himself to us, that he delights in us, and so we can trust him. So may this be a time of confession. May this be a time of worship. May this be a time of commitment. So Heavenly Father, we just pray right now as we get ready to go to these elements that you would be in the midst of us. That you would work right now for the person who has never surrendered their life to you, that this would become their spiritual birthday. That they would commit themselves to you because you, Jesus, gave yourself for them. For the person who's been fretting I pray that right now would be a time of confession, admitting that, but that they would also commit themselves to you, that they would renew their trust. But God, we can't just muster these sort of things up. So Holy Spirit, would you come in? Would you give us the courage to confess these things? Give us the courage to trust. Would you change our desires so that we truly delight in the Lord? And would you help us to commit yet again Father, your scriptures teach us that your mercies are new every morning. So many of us have fallen short in so many ways, time and time again. And yet you do not look at us with anger. You do not look at us as, as someone just to get rid of, to give up on. Instead, you look at us like a heavenly father, a loving father who desires our heart. You do not want to see us enter the fade. Instead, you want to see us enter into life, into you. So do in these next moments what you need to do. Holy Spirit, say what you need to say through the song, through, through just the whispers into our hearts. Use this next moment, God, to help us to fret not and instead to trust, to delight, 
and to commit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So at any time during this next song, whenever you feel led, you feel free to come up to the elements and take it. As you do so, let's do it in remembrance of him.